Well, this morning I have the privilege to stand before ambassadors of the gospel, ambassadors of hope. You're thinking, man, I don't know if that's me today, but well, if you are a Christ follower, that's how you are described in the Word of God, is someone who is a royal ambassador to the King. And as we represent the gospel in our community and everywhere you go, and as we've seen through this book of 1 Peter that we've been studying, as our faith has been tested under fire, that you are an agent of hope as well. Because we have been given the blessed hope of God, the promise of not only salvation, but the resurrection of Christ brings about this resurrection that we will all experience someday, even getting a glorified body. But meanwhile, as we've studied the book of 1 Peter so far, understanding the context of the book and the problem that we face is just the same as it was in his day. When Peter was under this inspiration of the Spirit of God, wrote this letter, he wrote it to people that were scattered abroad due to persecution and difficulties for Christ followers. And so as he's writing this, he's trying to remind them constantly of the hope they have in Christ, reminding them of the salvation and the security that they have in Christ. But there's also some very clear instruction for how to live even in the midst of difficult times. And I think we can learn so much from this book if we'll open our hearts to it because the times we're living are quite similar There may be persecution, but there's also just flat-out difficulties as are obvious in our nation and throughout the world today. And so it's instinctive for us, I believe, in our natural sense to want to kind of hunker down. We kind of go into our homes, sometimes even instructed to do so, to stay home and isolate. And uh, and I understand that from safety's sake. Sometimes that might have been necessary. It may still be in some places. But there's also an aspect of that that kind of just continues to persist on in our lives where we like the hunkered down feeling and and just kind of us for no more. And there's a safety with that with us that we want to make sure our family's secure and all is well. But at the same time, we've been given a mission. And God used even persecution and difficulties and famine and pestilence and all kinds of things throughout history to scatter his people that the gospel would continue to move forward Because it is instinctive in us to hunker down. In fact, when you get in the book of Acts, you'll find out that the Christ followers kind of all assembled up in Jerusalem and stayed put. And God used persecution to spread the gospel because no one was moving on. And so, as I stand in front of you today, I recognize that it's instinctive for maybe you. As an ambassador of the gospel, an ambassador of hope, to maybe want to hunker down a little bit. And maybe it's this aspect of us where we not only hunker down but in even in Peter's day with all the difficulty that goes on we kind of get a little bit of an edge to us many of us are just frustrated we're kind of annoyed with certain things we we we're inundated with information that is unpleasant things are a little chippy in conversations and people at work and people in your in your social circles sometimes things are just a little bit difficult as a result we start finding fault we start pointing fingers We start having difficult times with people. Well, sounds like the world we're living in now. Well, nothing has changed. 1 Peter chapter 1, it's where we go again. 1 Peter chapter 1 today, verse 22 is where I'll begin. And Peter says this, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass 
in all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. There's a definitive command in the middle of this or a directive given to Christ followers, and that was to love one another fervently with a pure heart. I'm going to unpack that in just a moment. But in order to get the understanding of this loving each other fervently with a pure heart, we have to find out about the empowerment that makes that even possible because if we were just trying to muster up enough willpower to love that way, we're probably going to come up pretty short. Because love is of God and and God is love and therefore if we are going to love in any way that would be in a biblical sense, it's going to be fueled by the Lord himself, empowered by the Lord himself. So if we go back in the text, let's see how this works for us. 1 Peter 1, says again, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now pay attention carefully here. The purification of the soul, you're not purifying yourself in the sense that, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get myself all cleaned up for God. No, you have been purified and it's by faith that you have trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you watch, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth. You've obeyed the gospel message of Jesus Christ where you've learned that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and gave his life for you, paid your sin debt for you. He rose again for you. And you by faith trusted him and obeyed the gospel message which is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ And so it's through the Spirit that that even became a reality because it's the Spirit of God that was the one who drew you to Christ. It's the Spirit of God that illuminated the truth that you would even see it as what is true. And so if you notice here, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. So you did not clean yourself. No man can clean himself. You can try all you want to try to polish up for Jesus. It's not going to happen. You are purified in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Verse 23 says, Then having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So now, we're born again. This whole text is speaking into our salvation that we have. That we are born in through the Spirit, but it's also this incorruptible seed. Now, the seed of man is corruptible. When man and woman come together and have a child, that is corruptible seed. Why? Because sin passes on from one to the next. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Our sin nature continues to pass on. But the incorruptible seed of the Word of God that is able then to, to purge us and to purify us is then how we become saved. It's the gospel message that is incorruptible. You can, now, you can try to taint it, but the message of the gospel is still pure. Even if you try to make it impure, it doesn't alter the fact that the word of God endures forever and the message of the gospel is a pure gospel. Matter of fact, this whole idea of this being born again is a, is a phrase that is not only seen in the book of 1 Peter, but you know this from John chapter 3. You remember Nicodemus, the religious leader in Jesus' day that came to him secretly by night. And he came asking and posing a question, and Jesus' response to him was that, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus was perplexed by what Jesus asked. And he said, well, what do you mean here? Like go back into the womb and come out a second time? That doesn't make any sense. 
And Jesus was explaining to him how that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And you must be born of the Spirit in order to be born again. Because we've already been born in the flesh. The water breaks, the baby comes forth, and that's born of flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is of God. So if you watch real careful, the the two phrases in verse 22 and 23 says that we are been purified, verse 22, through the Spirit. Verse 23 says that we've been born again through the Word of God. So you take, in the same way you have a husband and wife come together for a baby, you have two coming together for a baby. A babe in Christ, a spiritual birth takes place. The Spirit and the Word are essential coming together in the life of someone believing on the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this Word is what's critical though because it's always what's under attack. Because if in our culture today, if I can attack the Word of God as being uh, unreliable... And it's been messed up because it's got all these different translators and you've had all these people that uh, sinful men, including Peter himself, who sinned against God. So how could his words be considered even reliable that we would look at it and say, man, I'm going to bank my whole salvation on a book that has been corrupted by men and yet the word of God endures forever. The word of God is pure. Because God, the same holy God, who is the creator of heaven and earth, had no problem speaking his word and then had no problem being able to preserve his word even through sinful people in the same way the gospel is being ministered daily in this world through the mouth of sinful people. And God is able to then preserve it and keep it for us. The word of God came. Peter's the one who said this in 2 Peter, that the word of God came not by the will of man, But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. God told them what to write down. They wrote it with their own personalities, but under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, the Word of God has come to us. And so this is the Word then that does not fade away. 1 Peter 1.24 says, Because all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. Those are all temporal things, but this physical body of mine, as much as it's as much as it's in as you can see it, it's as grass. I don't know about your yard, but last week mine died. Praise the Lord, it rained and now it looks good again. But as the grass, it dies. The grass withers, the flower falls away. But that's not the case with the word of God. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. It's the word of the gospel message of Jesus Christ that was relevant and true in the day of Peter just as much as it is now 2,000 years later. This is why it's a living word that continues to live and abide forever. In fact, Psalm 119 says that the word of God is settled in heaven. The word's never going to fade away. God, the righteous judge, will always be operative in his justice and judgment based on the word of God. Creation took place based on the word of God. God spoke things into existence. He judges all matters according to his word and will continue that for all of eternity. The word is settled in heaven and endures forever. So this gospel that we preach is a sure gospel and is settled forever. And this is the point Peter is making here. You have this security of your salvation. You have to recognize that you were born of the Spirit, born of the Word of God. 
It's born of this gospel message that's now preached. And now this is why when Jesus came along and said that you must worship in spirit and in truth. That's what he claimed on the, on the, at the woman with the well in John chapter 4. But this security of our salvation is what then empowers us to fulfill the directive of this command or in this text. And that is to love. Now, if you watch how all this comes about, it, that sometimes you find this the, the really great verse that just summarizes all of it together in one little package, and here it is. Paul wrote this in 2 Thessalonians 2. He said, here we are. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation. Now, how do you do that? Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So it's the Spirit of God at work, as we already know in Scripture, that the Father is drawing to the Son. He draws us to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit of God that is the convictor, convincing us that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. He is the one who opens and illuminates our eyes that we might see that which is true. But then it's operative on our part, the the faith, the measure of faith in which we've been given, that we by faith believe the truth. And we'll learn next week, not everybody does. That Jesus was the the rock, the stone. He's the the rock of stumbling and the stone of offense for those who reject him. But it doesn't change the fact that he's still the truth. But if you watch, the belief of the truth is how we come into faith in Christ and to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's something that we all have in common. If you're a Christ follower in this room, here's what we all have in common. We have one spirit, there's the person of the Trinity, that it drew you to salvation. You were saved by that spirit. There's one Father in heaven. There's only one Son. There's one divine nature that we've been given, according to 2 Peter 1. We are partakers of His divine nature. So you don't have something that I don't have and vice versa. No, we are all partakers of God's divine nature, the Father. We are under one gospel. You didn't get saved by one gospel and me by another. No, there's only one gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is how we all entered into the family of God by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, the Savior. So Romans 8 makes this statement in verse 9. But you are not in the flesh... But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now, good place to call time out. Watch this verse careful. You have to be able to answer the question in your own heart today. Is the Spirit of God in me? And it's not because you've done something, you've experienced something. That's not the point. It's by faith have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Word of God says that the moment I trusted Jesus to save me, the same Spirit that convinced me I needed a Savior, the same Spirit that drew me to God Himself, is the same Spirit that now inhabits me and empowers me to live the life for God. I can't do that in my flesh. It says, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And this is how we then are empowered to love. It's from Romans 5, verse 5, by the same Spirit. It says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in, out in our hearts 
by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the love that Peter is now describing that we are to have this fervent love for one another. Well, how do you do that? Well, it's the Spirit of God in you that's doing that. He empowers you for that. You can't do that on your own. As a matter of fact, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, we know that the first one mentioned is love. The very character of God coming out of my life would be love. Now, if I'm living in the flesh and living for me, that's going to be the first thing that you'll see shrouded, and it's not going to be evident. And when love is not evident, well, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out today here in just a moment, but love is the very thing that is empowered by the Spirit of God because it is the love of God is how we entered into His family in the first place. Because it is the love of God that sent His only begotten Son to this world. It is the love of God He demonstrated to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is the love of God that sent His Son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction or the mercy seat, as other terms used. But that God would send His Son to pay our sin debt for us based on His love. That same love is in you. It's in me. But often I get fleshly and I hunker down and I start noticing the faults of everything around me and so then my love starts to go away because why? Not because God went away, because I'm now living in the flesh and I'm thinking fleshly carnal things and I'm not yielded to the Spirit of God. I yield to my flesh instead. And so the love dissipates. And Paul, or Peter says this back in verse 22. Here's the command again. In sincere love of the brethren... Love one another fervently with a pure heart. A sincere love is a love without hypocrisy. This is seen in, I'll, I'll quickly just read it for you, but in Romans chapter 12, we get to see this, this particular verse. In verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what's evil, get that away from you, and cling to what's good. Now listen to the rest of this as this works out. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love it's the same brotherly love peter talks about as you know in the in the greek language they had different words for love we just say love because we don't have all the the different terms but you had the phileo love which is the word philadelphia that we have the city of brotherly love that's what's being described here it's a family type of love like you would have for family members but then there's a, a higher level of love that's being called up to, and it's a sacrificial love. It's the love that is spoken of where God, sent by love, sent His Son into the world. It's the love described as husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. It's the sacrificial, the ultimate love. It's the love that Jesus describes when He says that greater love has no man than this than He gives His life for His friends. That's the type of love he's describing. Well, Peter's describing that too. He says, in sincere love of the brethren, love, agape love, the most high sacrificial love, love one another with a fervent, or fervently with a pure heart. Back in Romans 12, though, it said to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Well now, we're going to look here in a moment. 
if you listen to what I just read to you from Romans 12 and connect that to the dots of 1 Peter and 1 Corinthians, a couple of things I'm going to share with you. All of these, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, are saying the same thing. They're reinforcing it through the mouth of two or three witnesses. God's word is being established that what does this love look like? If I'm being instructed based upon the fact that I am a Christ follower born into God's family and I know that for sure, I am empowered then to have sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This fervent love he's describing is a word that is often connected to athletes. And you think of the word striving and always being stretched to go a little bit further. I don't know about you, but my love gets stretched. I don't know that I like having my love stretched. But when love is being stretched, what does God often do? He puts something that's someone in your life that may be unlovable. It's difficult to love. And so God's always stretching me. In this time right now, this season in our nation, it's a hunker-down mentality. So when you're going to stretch your love, now you're going to look outside of yourself and look outside of my four and no more, and I'm going to look at how can I extend this love that God's given to me unto people who are lonely, who are people that are in need right now, and I could maybe meet their need, to people who have no hope, and here I am, the ambassador of hope. The people that need a servant. And so he describes here to love one another fervently with a pure heart. The pure heart is a clean heart. You know, it's interesting how when things start going sideways in life, we often will say this, you know, my heart's just not good right now. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that I just hate the Word of God. I'm not choosing to obey it, though. My attitude towards the circumstances around me is negative, and that's overwhelming me, and as a result of that, my heart's no good. And sometimes I recognize it. You know, I get, my heart's not in the right place. I've shared stories like this before, so if this is a repeat, sorry, but... I can think, I'll go back in history in my life a little ways where I remember real distinctly where God busted my chops on this. I remember riding my bike one day when we were living in Asia and I got so frustrated over the fact that I'd sold everything that I had to move there and I was happy to do that. My family was doing okay in this, though at times it was, tr- it was very difficult. I remember, though, riding down the bike lane and constantly having these cars always cut in front of me. And I remember one day, it's like, it's not as if they didn't see me. We're riding side by side. My bike, the car. We are next to each other. Right in front of me. I had no choice but to just lay my bike down and hope to not slide under the car and get run over. And I remember standing that bike up, and now it's kind of a foiled up mess, and I was too. And I remember thinking, at that moment, Lord, if these people are so doggone smart, they can save themselves. I've had enough. And I remember being very frustrated, and I was angry, 
And I was tired of being used. I was tired of being abused. And in that moment, as I picked up my bike and just started to walk home and pout, God spoke into my heart. Because it was, I needed the reminder of my salvation. I needed to be reminded that, Dwayne, I gave my life for you that you might have life. That while you were yet a sinner, I died for you. I needed to realize again that I was purified by the word of God through the Spirit through his eternal word. And that God has now called me into his own family and given me an inheritance among the saints. And that God has now entrusted me as an ambassador of the gospel and somehow now I've turned it into something for me. And when I feel violated, I don't like this anymore. And all of a sudden I realized that my love for people was not where it was supposed to be and my heart wasn't clean. And it gave me an opportunity to go back to the Lord even in that moment, right then, and just say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Thank you for being patient with me. And thank you for forgiving me for the fact that I've sinned against you today. My heart stinks. And God restored that. But I learned something in that moment. God was stretching my love and allowed an uncomfortable circumstance to happen in my life to keep stretching it further. And it just kept getting stretched and stretched and stretched more and more and more. And right now, maybe you're being stretched. That your fervent love would be then poured out of a pure heart. And maybe this is the spot to examine today. Is my heart pure before the Lord? And if not, it's a great day to get that settled before God. Is your heart being stretched or your love being stretched in the way that Christ stretched the love of the disciples? You remember after he uh, knelt down and washed the disciples' feet just before he was going to the cross? And Jesus' statement to them was that uh, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. After he had just served them and ministered to them in the most humble way. So I learned some character qualities just walking through my Bible and all the places of love. You know, the love is a humble servant. God, who gave his own son, the humble servant, says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love doesn't know God, because God's love. You know, Jesus comes along and says, that love God and love people. He summarized the entire Old Testament in loving God, loving people. In fact, he got approached one day by a lawyer about this exact matter. And Jesus asked him about the law, and his answer was, yeah, I know, get the deal here. You're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer said, so, who's my neighbor? And Jesus began to explain a parable to him. And the parable was the parable of the Good Samaritan, and and it's real strategic who Jesus chose to use in that parable because a man who was traveling 
down the road was then beaten and mobbed, or excuse me, beaten and then tossed aside and robbed of all of his uh, physical possessions. The priest who went by, who would be the ambassador of love, because he knows the word of God the best. He, the priest is the one who is the intercessor. They're the ones who offer the sacrifices for the people. They're the ones who pray on behalf of the people. They're the ones who are the spokesman for the living God. The priest walks by not to see it like it didn't even happen because if I don't see it, it's not real. The Levite comes by. The Levites were the ones who were given the stewardship of service for the temple. It was their entire tribe. The inheritance of the Levites was never physical land or properties. It was the Lord himself. They were a very unique, called out group of people, the Levites were. And the Levite looked at it and was like, oh my word. I'm not getting involved in that. And walked on. But the Samaritan was the one that quite frankly was the hated one. They were the ones that were kind of the sellouts that Hey, we're going to relocate the uh, home base of worship from Jerusalem to Mount Gerizim and, and, Samaria, and Samaria. And this is going to be our deal. And they were considered kind of the half-breeds is the way they were termed. But it was the Samaritan that saw the guy in need and picked him up, bound his wounds, delivered him to the inn, told the innkeeper, whatever it costs, here's the front money on it, but when I come back, if there's any money that's not been paid to take care of this guy, I will gladly pay this for him. So Jesus then poses the question, so who was the neighbor? The lawyer answered the question and said, well, certainly it was, it was the Samaritan. And Jesus said, now go do likewise. And Jesus then goes on then to explain that love is having compassion. This fervent love that's going to always stretch beyond where you are is going to have a compassion. You will see someone in need. And this has been really gripping my heart of watching the people that are in need even right now in our community. The lonely, the sick. There's people that have gaps in their life in terms of economic um, help. There's ways that we've been able to engage some of that through the school system's really been helpful to help us know where and how to do some of those things. This week we had some connections to the senior centers in Ozark and Rogersville both. And how can we engage? What can we do? How can we help? We realize there's people here that used to gather every day to do things to find community and fellowship with each other. They're now estranged from each other and they're lonely and it's a desperate time. What do we do with this? And God's giving some instruction. We're seeing some opportunities advance, and I'll share those with you as we go. But one of the ways that things that we're trying to always establish in our church is a mechanism, a means for us to love well for each other. There's a good chance that the people sitting just down the row from you in your seat, you have no earthly idea what their needs are. You wouldn't even know how to pray for them. That's why we established months ago gap groups, gather and pray groups is what gap stands for. That everyone in our church fits into a group and they're multi-generational and it's not necessarily all the people you normally hang out with because the people you normally hang out with, you probably already know those needs and have community there. But we're trying to, with our entire church, find gap groups or establish gap groups that we can pray for each other, pray for the needs in our community, pray for what's going on in our nation and around the world. And we meet once a month to do that. It's vital 
that everybody in our ministry is a part of a gap group that we can fervently meet the needs and pray and love one another well in our church. And our love will be stretched. Gap groups have needs. I know in our group we have needs and we are pursuing to meet those needs. So here's my instruction to you today. If you're not in a gap group, you don't have any idea what I'm even talking about, well, go connect with us out at our connection area and we'll help you get established in a gap group. We've had to take a season of time to not meet that way because of COVID, but now we're going to be able to do that again. Some are going to meet outside in various places, but in the month of August, our gap groups will meet again at a chance for us to love each other well. When I think about love, you can't help but to remember in 1 Corinthians 13, and if you can remember what I read back in Romans 12, all this will start connecting dots. I heard a, a missionary one time make a statement about this text, and I never forgot it. And He said, the love or this charity that you see in 1 Corinthians 13 is love with shoes on. And that phrase really stuck with me because love with shoes on is not just this attitude of my heart, but it's going to take an action step in moving and advancing forward. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, that love suffers long. It's patient. We often will just change that word to patient, and that's fine, I get. But when you suffer long in something, it sounds a lot different than just being patient. People test patience and it's like, well, that's kind of like a fleeting moment. When I think of suffering long, it's like sitting down a couple of weeks ago with a, a lady, we buried her husband, and for the last 22 years, she's been nursing that man and helping him go gracefully. She suffered long. She made the promise to love in sickness and in health. But she suffered long in love. But she loved well. Love is kind. It's this extension of, of not just a word of encouragement, though that's wonderful. Sometimes we'll say that, man, you're so kind. I appreciate your kindness to be an encouragement and a blessing that way. Sometimes it's giving to meet a need that you're aware of. That is a kindness that's extended. But that's what love does. There's an action step involved. Love doesn't envy. Because envy, what is envy? Different than covetousness. Covetous is when I want something you've got. But envy is when I'm afraid I'm going to lose something I perceive I have. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, for envy's sake, they had him crucified because they didn't want to lose their position. Love doesn't envy in fear of losing something. That you've got the power, the position, the spot, the, the limelight's on you. And I don't want to lose that. No, that's envy. That's not love. Love doesn't parade itself and, and always wanting to be noticed and always having to make sure you get the limelight somehow. And Guys, this is a dangerous place for us in our culture with constantly wanting to establish ourselves in social media. And I'm all about social media. I've told you before, I, we use it all the time. But I'm watching the destructiveness in, in churches through some of the things that happen. And I want to just first, I, I thank the Lord all the time that it's not happening in one community. But guys, I... I'm on the phone every week with pastor friends of mine that their ministry's imploding. And it's sad because people in the church are, are venting all of their mind about whatever it is and parading themselves and their ideas and their concepts and their ideologies and it's totally in the face of someone else with no love, no care, no compassion, no concern for how this is impacting someone else. It's parading itself. Love isn't puffed up. 
When you compare puffed up to the other text in 1 Corinthians, it's one that's filled full of knowledge. It always has to get the last word. Love doesn't behave rudely. Always being snide and, and chippy and finding fault. Love doesn't seek its own. Just trying to make, it, make sure it's, I've got what I need. As long as we're good, we're good. I don't have to worry about anybody else. Love's not provoked. In fact, we're supposed to provoke unto love and good works, according to Hebrews. And love thinks no evils, not trying to scheme or, or come up with a way to even the score and somehow make things right in a way that's, well, sinful. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. There's no celebrating of sin. Sometimes we feel that way when we see someone kind of got their comeuppance. <laughs> they deserved it. And we rejoice in the iniquity. But the Word of God teaches us instead rejoice in the truth. Love bears all things, which the forbearance is one of the most difficult things, I think, as a Christ follower in the body of Christ as we learn to forbear one another and you bear all things. You bear a burden. Sometimes you bear with people that are just difficult to, to bear with. We believe, love believes all things. It, it believes the best in people. It's not jumping to conclusions that are often inaccurate and you didn't hear the whole matter first. Love hopes all things. And when you hope all things, you're constantly speaking into, yes, my scenario is difficult, but let me just tell you how God's ministering right now and the hope that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that I have in the Word. Love hopes. Love endures all things. And love never fails. Why do I mention these things? Because in the very next chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says you've got to lay some things aside that are a complete contradiction to what we just read in 1 Corinthians 13 of what love is. And I'll finish here. 1 Peter 2 says this, Therefore, based on your salvation that you have being born again, based on this empowerment to love, and based on the fact that we are to love one another fervently, Based on that, therefore, laying aside all malice, which is this anger that just broods with an intent to hurt, deceit, which is deceitfulness with, it's an intentional misrepresentation of the truth. Hypocrisy, we've already seen. Not just saying one thing and doing another, but it's the half-baked fake love that's not real but you lay aside hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking there's no room for that in the body of christ it's a contradiction to who we are as christ followers there's no space for that instead as newborn babes as a newborn baby desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby now notice it's as a newborn baby have that kind of appetite for truth we are instructed, though, to grow in the Word and not remain as a baby. You have an appetite like a baby. You crave the Word like a baby does every two hours and cries out for it. That's what we're supposed to be like, but we're supposed to grow in the Word and mature in the Word, and that's why God is constantly stretching our love is to cause us to grow in love, but He's the one who empowers us to do it. So we don't have to try to muster this up and psych ourselves to be more loving. No, I yield myself to the, to the living God, but yield myself to the Word of God. 
Because if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, if you watch what happens here, my appetite for the word continues to grow like a baby desiring milk. I taste the graciousness of the Lord. I'm literally feeding the Spirit of God and I'm growing from milk to meat and becoming a mature follower of Christ and God just keeps stretching my love further and further and further beyond what I ever thought it was able to be possible. But it's through the power of the Spirit of God and you're yielding to the Word of God. And so today, here's the things to contemplate. First, we've been given a directive in this text. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Let's go straight for the heart of the matter. Is your heart pure before the Lord? Is it clean? Have you been born again by the incorruptible seed, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, believing on the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Are there some things brewing in the heart there that you know my heart's not right? Right now, today, take your sin before the Lord, before a holy God, and restore righteousness with the Lord. How do you do that? First John says it, that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. He'll clean my heart out today if I'm just honest and come into agreement with God about where my heart stinks. I've been directed to love fervently. How's God stretching your love right now? Beyond what you ever thought was possible. And is there someone in your life today that maybe God's reminding you today, you know what, I need to reach out to that individual and just demonstrate the love of God. Not to get anything in return, no, no. It's because I just love God and I want them to know the love of God through me. I invite you to just bow your heads and contemplate the truth of God's word today. You know, I never know how God will use his words to stir our hearts and draw us close to him, to remind us of things, to purify our hearts of things. I I don't know what God's doing in your life right now. If today you, is the day in your life, you know, you want to become a Christ follower. You're not there yet, but you're you're like, Dwayne, today, I want to know that I'm saved. I want to know I'm born again. I want to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I have eternal life in Christ. I want to invite you in just a moment as we stand up and we're going to sing a song and we have ministers in the back of this room that would be glad to open up the Bible with you and show you in Scripture how you can know for sure what it means to be a Christ follower. Is there a step of obedience in your life that God's instructing you to take? Something you've delayed. He's already told you you've delayed. And today's the day. Your delay's over. I need to take the step. Is there something going on in your heart that needs to get cleaned out? Who in your life has God placed 
that needs to experience the love of God through you. 